All right, good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody feeling this afternoon? Yes, yes, oh, come on, make some noise. How's everybody feeling this afternoon? All right, all right, it is an exciting time to be in the house of the Lord today. It is the first Sunday in December, y'all. How crazy is that? Not only do we get to celebrate the birth of our Savior and bring in the new year, but it's also a time where we can just enjoy each other's company and enjoy the holiday season. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. If this is your first time here, thank you for making yourself available to worship with us. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Why don't we all stand up before we begin? All right. Now, we, before we begin each service, we have uh, brother and sister uh, come up and testify what the Lord has done in their life. And I would like to bring up Maria Lay, this awesome woman of God. I've known for a short time, but she's awesome. Yes, please give a warm welcome as she comes up to the stage. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Maria Lay, like Pastor Tony mentioned. And I just want to testify that before coming to Christ, I was a very rebellious teenager. Um, by the time I was 19, I was on my way to prison for the first time. I had been arrested a few times. I had had a couple drug and alcohol overdoses. Um, I was like every parent's nightmare, you know, as a teenager. But when I came to Christ, all that turned around for me. I grew up in a Catholic home. I was the first person in my household and my family to come to Christ. Through watching my change, my parents came to Christ. Glory to God. And by them seeing the change that God did in me, that encouraged them to come to the Lord and have faith in God and the God that I served and to believe. So I just want to encourage everyone here. If you have family members and loved ones that you know, you're praying for and you're believing for to come to Christ, no matter how hard their hearts are, by seeing you and your walk with God, showing God's love and just staying, you know, staying in God's ways and God's truth and watching you as a living testimony, that will bring them to Christ. Amen. So I just want to encourage you and I want to read a verse in Acts 16, 31. It says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So if that's talking to you, receive that word believe that word stand in that word have faith and be encouraged let's pray lord jesus in the name of your son jesus christ i just want to thank you father for today for today's service for today's word lord god encourage your people encourage lord god the family in christ that we have here father god those believing uh, for a salvation in their families and their loved ones. May they not get weary. May they not give up, but may they continue to serve you. May they continue to keep their eyes on you and Lord God, and you will do the miracle in your time. So we thank you for today's service. We thank you for everyone here. We thank you for the pastors, Lord God, and for everyone serving you, Father God, here today. And we just thank you. We love you and we praise your glory name and it's all to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, a hand clap of praise. Keep your hands together. We're going to sing this out. I have heard a sound. I have heard a sound coming on the wind, changing hearts and minds, healing brokenness. I feel a generation 
breaking through despair I hear a generation full of faith declare and our song it will be out of the darkness out of the darkness we will rise and sing that he is faithful and he is glorious and he is Jesus all my hope is in him he is freedom and he is healing right now he is hope and joy love and peace and life hey let's do that verse again generation breaking through despair I hear a generation full of faith declare and our song it will be out of the darkness we will rise and sing that he is faithful generation with resurrection life we are a generation filled with the power of Christ and our song it will be out of the darkness we will rise and sing that he is faithful Glorious and he is Jesus and my hope is in him. He is freedom and he is healing right now. He is hope and joy, love and peace. 
you guys, today I want you to make it personal. As we sing this again, I want you to say, He has paid the highest price. He has proven His great love for me. That we will praise Him with our lives, with my life. And I am going to proclaim my love for Him. So let's do this again. proclaim my love for you God each and every day and I I feel like sometimes we can sing these songs and we sing them out as, like generally like yes because we do we will praise him with our lives but when you take the song and you make it personal and you say I will praise you with my life it's a declaration these are more than just words written on a screen but when you put them in your heart they're saying something so personal and something that's so magnanimous and it's saying, God, you paid the highest price and I know that you did it for me and I'm gonna praise you with my life and I'm gonna proclaim my love for you because you are worthy, you are holy, you are magnificent, you are majestic and you are worthy, worthy, worthy. And I want you to be the king of my heart and I want you to be the wind in my sails and I want you to be the one who sits on the throne of my heart, not some other thing but just you. Be the king of my heart, Jesus. Be the mountain where I run. Lord God, you said that whoever comes to you would never be thirsty or hungry, God. And I pray that in this place, that is exactly what happens in each and every person. So sing this song with me, the king of my heart. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, good. Oh, 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 let's see that verse again. Let the king of my heart be the mouth. 
fountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, here's my soul. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, here's my soul, cause you are good, you're good.
down. Don't you know you're never gonna let you down? You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh, no, no, no. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You are you're striving to be perfect as he is perfect but he still thinks the world of you and if he didn't he wouldn't come but he did because he's a good God who gives good gifts to his children whether we deserve them or not and I think there's people in this place today who think that they've fallen so far and they feel like they've come so short and Jesus says it's your time's not up today is the day you can draw closer you can be nearer than you've ever felt than you've ever been because he loves you and it's not what you do that makes you right in his sight. It's what he did. And he wants you to know that he loves you very much. And he wants you to have every good and perfect thing which comes from above. And it does not, he doesn't change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, I do it again just for you. So if your heart today is to be right before God, then repent and be right before God. It's that simple. And draw near and pray and sing this song with us because it's all about becoming closer and God will give you the desires of your heart, especially if it's one of those prayers where you're like, I wanna be closer, I wanna go deeper, I want to know you more. Because what would he rather give you than more of himself? Hallelujah. Your love has ravished 
Let's sing it again. Come on. So pull me a little closer. If you're here today and you want to get a hold of Jesus, right now is your moment. Come on. You, you stretch forth your hand and get a hold of him. Touch him today. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want to know your heart, oh God. I want to know this love that is so sweet. Oh, Jesus, we love you today. Come on, let's go after it again. Pull me a little closer. Come on, lift up your hands this afternoon. We're going to go after Jesus. Come on, Lord. We want to go deeper, Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence in this room today. We thank you, Jesus, that we can gather together with our brothers and sisters in the Lord and seek you and find you. We thank you that we can gather together, God, and bring you worship and give you glory today. And our hearts cry this morning, God, is that we want to know you more. We want to go deeper in our relationship with you. We want to go deeper in our worship. We want to go deeper in our prayer time. We want to know your heart, oh God. Your word says, God, that you would reveal things to us. When we ask you, God, you will tell us great and mighty things which we do not know. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that they would experience your love today. That they would not hold back. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We worship you, God. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for your presence. You've been so good. And we give you all the glory and all the praise that is due your name today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Why don't you guys turn around, shake your neighbor's hand. We're going to prepare to receive the elements for communion. You guys can be seated. We welcome you to Metro Praise International. Thank you for joining us for this service to worship the Lord together. We're so thankful that you came. The reason why we take communion the first Sunday of every month is because this is an ordinance that we want to practice to remember what the Lord has done for us. That's what he told us before he left, that we would do this in remembrance of him. And so I want you guys to think about what the Lord has done for you as I preach this gospel message. This message is going to be for those of you in the room that are not right with God, and you know that you need to get right with him. This is your opportunity to make it right because the Bible says to not partake in communion with a heart that is not right before the Lord. And so we want to give you an opportunity to repent and get right with him. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that powerful? Jesus came to seek and find us, to save us. He came looking for you. And so, so many times the devil wants to lie and make you feel like you've been forgotten or that you're worthless or you have you know, no destiny, no future. But I want to tell you that the God of heaven and earth, the Son of God, left the glory of heaven to come down here, here and be like us, 
to die a death that we deserved, to pay a price that we could have never paid, to mend that relationship back with him. And he came to seek and to save us. And if you want to be found today, you can be found. Jesus is here stretching forth his hand, saying, come and follow me. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I want you to repent today. If you know that you're not doing what God has called you to do, you know what it's going to take for you to live right. You have to repent. You've got to turn from your wicked ways and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room that has the opportunity to hear this gospel message of salvation that you came to seek and save the lost. And we are lost without you, God. But I thank you so much for making a way where there seemed to be no way that you had a plan all along to save us and redeem us and forgive us of our sins. And because of the blood that you shed on that cross at Calvary, today we stand redeemed and forgiven. And I pray that every person that has not had that opportunity or has never done it, that today they would do it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can you guys please stand up with me? Let's take per, uh, partake of the communion together. In just a few moments, you're going to have the opportunity to come up and receive prayer from some of our uh, altar workers. And I just want to genuinely ask you to come and receive prayer and find out how you can get plugged into the church and become a disciple. Because God has not called you to live this journey by yourself. The church is behind you and there are leaders that are going to be here to encourage you in that journey. So if you guys could hold the wafer in your hand, I'm going to pray for the elements. Lord, we thank you so much for your body. We thank you for this wafer that represents your body. Your body that was beaten and bruised for us, whipped the crown of thorns that was placed upon your head. We remember you today, God, and all that you are and all that you've done. And we say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying that price. And we rejoice in today because this is the day that the Lord has made. And we thank you, God. Let's partake of the wafer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this grape juice that represents your blood. We thank you for your blood that was shed on that cross 2,000 years ago that has washed us clean, white like snow. And we thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us and saved us and healed us. And we remember you today. We say thank you. Let's partake of the grape juice. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's join into worship with the worship team. One more time as the ushers pick up the remainder of the elements. Hallelujah. Come on, sing this with all of your heart today as we close out this time of the service.
worship you today. We thank you for your glory and your greatness. We worship you, O oh God, for you are our King, our Lord, our Savior and Redeemer. And we bless your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. He is such a good, good Father. Let's recite our confession of faith together. This is our Christian worldview. So if you are in agreement, let's say this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. In the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on. Why don't you guys spend some time shaking people's hands, getting to know one another. We'll see you soon.
All right. Who's excited they came to church today? Woo! I love hanging out with you guys. Don't you feel the love in the room? I love the second service. You guys are great. You guys make this service great. We love you. Welcome to Metro Praise International. As you guys know, Sunday is our main service. We have two, uh, two times, 10 a.m. And, and 1 p.m. Family service. We have King's Kids in the back for our children. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week. They're rocking it out for Jesus. Are you guys excited for our Christmas concert service coming up? Come on, make some noise if you're excited for that, guys. It's going to be awesome. So Metro Praise International Christmas concert, December 18th. For both of our services, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., everybody will be displaying their talents, especially our children in the back will be singing their Christmas carols. It's going to be such a fun time. So use this opportunity to invite your friends and family. Let's pack out this place, celebrate Jesus, celebrate life. It's going to be such a special service. The word that's going to come forth is going to bless, bless you guys. So we're really pumped about that. Our vision here at MPI is loving God and loving people. Our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send you out. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism because we believe that we must keep preaching to the law so they can hear the gospel of Jesus. And our goal by doing all of that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. And you all have a place to play in that plan. Amen? So look to your neighbor say, it's time to get connected. Come on, say it's time to get connected. You guys are being shy. Don't be shy. You, if you guys turn your hand out around, you'll see the schedule of this quarter of life groups. I want you guys to find a place to belong, to get connected to with you and your family. Here's a snapshot of the life groups happening this week. Tuesday, the Resistance Elevate life group will be meeting here at the church at 6 o'clock. Wednesday, we have our kids, King's Kids. If you have children, infant to 11 years old, you have to bring them here on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We have Royal Rangers for the boys, Impact for the girls. It's their time to get discipled. This is their life group. We have amazing workers that pour into their life. It's an awesome time. Thursday, our gang outreach hits the streets at 7. Friday, two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas, the other one at the Vivids. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Be there, get encouraged, get into the word, hang out with people in the church. Amen? No excuses to ever feel like you don't have friends in the church or that it's boring because look at all that happens throughout the week. So much to do. It's an awesome time. Now it's time to get mentored. If you have been coming around for a while and you haven't started 101, Find a leader. There's leaders everywhere that want to pour into your life and take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life because we want you to be a disciple that knows God and fulfills God's purpose for your life. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, and that's where you'll get trained to be a leader in the church and really push through and to be all that God has called you to be so that you could be a, a deacon or an elder one day here. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism, preach the gospel on the streets, because if you've never done that, I guarantee you it will change your life. There's something about going out and proclaiming God's word on the streets to complete strangers because you understand the reality of heaven and hell. You understand the seriousness of eternity when you repeatedly will see people argue uh, against the word of God or, or not believe, and it just will break your heart. A lot of times it's hard for us to pray for the lost because we're not really talking to the lost people on this level. So if you want your relationship with God to get to another level for you to get strengthened in your faith, go witnessing because it's all about telling people 
that Jesus saves, and there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through him. Amen? So join them on Saturdays from 5 to 8. So in recap, our vision, loving God and loving people, strategy to connect you to the church, mentor you, send you out, and our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world, and you guys have a part to play in that. You're not an accident. It's not an accident that you are here. God has a purpose for you being here. Are you guys excited to give your tithes and offerings today? Come on. We're going to be in lesson seven today, overcoming and patience. We believe that the scripture teaches that 10% of our income is our tithe. We should give that faithfully to the church. They're going to be switching that over. Everything that we give above the tithe is an offering that we give to the Lord. And we give that here towards building and towards missions. And so we want to keep encouraging you guys to give and be faithful to the Lord. So let's get into our lesson today. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. So the hindrance of impatience is what we're going to be learning about today. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Here are three main points. Number one, be patient. How many of you guys struggle with patience? I do. Patience means to bravely endure times of waiting. The good farmer cannot become impatient with the seeds he planted. He must bravely endure the time of waiting because if he tries to gather his crops too early, he will lose his harvest. So don't get weary in waiting uh, in your waiting season. Be patient. Let God continue to allow those seeds to take root and go deep in your life because sometimes when we try to get in God's way to interfere, we'll mess it up and it'll be too premature. And God's, God will be like, if you waited a little bit longer, you would have had the best. You would have had more. But sometimes we could get in the way in that. And that uh, stumbling block, that hindrance of impatience can really hinder your walk with the Lord. So give it to the Lord every day and trust his timing. Number two, the Lord is coming. Just like how we are patiently waiting for the second coming of Jesus, we must be like the farmer and patiently wait for our financial harvest. And God will come through. Don't get weary in doing good. And number three, valuable crop. Remember, as surely as good seed and good ground with good weather under the care of a good farmer will produce a good harvest, our good God will reward our good seed with a good harvest if we bravely endure the times of waiting. So embrace those seasons of waiting. Amen? Here's a summary. Be patient in waiting for God to bless you because his blessings will come. Here's the application. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Number two, repent if you have become impatient with God. And three, ask God to teach you how to be patient. And just an encouragement, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So it's made available to you as you keep in step with the Spirit. God will allow you to strengthen that and be patient in all areas of your life. Let's confess this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will, become, I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. If that gets you excited, let's stand up together and give the Lord our best today. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income. Anything we give uh, after the tithe is considered an offering, and we give that towards missions and towards the building fund. There's four ways that you could give here at MPI. In the front, in the 
buckets up here in the back of the drop box. Number three, with a debit or credit card, you could see me after service, you would like to do that. Or number four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to our lives. And God, we repent of any impatience. Lord, I pray that the fruit of the spirit of patience will rise up in our heart, that we will be patient in the season of waiting, that we will not despise it, but that we would trust you. I pray that you would increase our finances, increase people on their jobs with promotions and raises and open doors of employment. God, we want to be a blessing everywhere we go. Let goodness and favor follow us on the job, that we would be set apart as, a, as an example of what an employee looks like. When we are saved, living Christian lives, that we would be shown favor on the job. And I pray that everything that we give, that would be multiplied to further your kingdom on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We thank you so much for your generosity. Please come forward as you give today. All right, how many are ready for a great message on this winter wonderland day? Come on, make some noise. Glad you guys are here. You brave the snow. How many of you Chicagoans can take the snow? You can take it. Amen. Amen. How many are not excited about snow, though? How Does anybody here love snow? Oh, we have some snowbirds here. Okay, you guys are cool. You guys are cool. I do love doing stuff in the snow. It's just I like doing stuff without the snow better. You know, I, I can make it happen in the snow if there's nothing else going on, like obviously six months or three months out the year. However long it snows, I can make stuff happen. But it's so much easier when you don't have to layer up, you know, put on boots and stuff like that. I like just hanging out, making things simple. Uh, I think we had a great fall, though. I cannot remember the last time where we got to do as much fun stuff outside for uh, the fall. Does anybody remember being this warm for a while? I mean, I've been here, I think, 13 years in Chicago, and this would be my warmest fall. Would you guys tend to agree with that, warmest fall in a long time? Yeah, right on. All right, open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, we will keep having church during the winter, so please keep coming during the winter. If there's ever like a blizzard, the only time I've ever canceled church in 12 years on a Sunday was two years ago. We had the blizzard literally on a Sunday. 
other than the worst, and that set a record, if you guys remember that, other than the record-breaking blizzard days, we will be having church. And so you don't have to go on Facebook and go, are they having church today? Having church? Yes, we will be having church. You will know we will have church. And uh, just keep coming, being safe, and know that we appreciate you guys here in the second service. Look at your friend and neighbor and say thank you for coming. Look at the person next to you. We're going to keep second service going strong. And a quick announcement is when Christmas comes, December 25th, we're going to have just one service, 10 a.m. I'm going to make that slide next week, okay? So everybody come to one family service on Christmas. We're going to make it real short and fun and simple because uh, we know you have a lot of family things to do. And uh, there, there might have been like a temptation for you to ask me or for someone to think about it like, man, I wonder if they're going to cancel service for Christmas. How many know that would be kind of like a silly question to ask? Because isn't that what Christmas is all about? You know, it's almost like, you know, it's like, are you, are you going to uh, cancel your birthday party on your birthday so that you can do something else on your birthday? It's like, no, I'm going to have my birthday party on my birthday. If we're really celebrating Jesus' birthday on the 25th, we should do that on Sunday. Now, I am smart enough to know that probably a lot of people don't want to celebrate Jesus on Christmas, which is crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like, people don't want to do that. So I'm like, I'm not going to make our church staff work two services, come in early, and stay late when there are going to be some silly folk out there not coming to church. So I'm like, I'm going to bless our leadership and give them the day off because I know some people are going to stay at home in their jammy jams. They're going to stay home in their jammy jams and not come to church. But I would love you guys listen to me. I would love for you guys to get sassy and prove me wrong. In Christmas, there literally be like 300 people here and just be like, we came large and in charge. It's Jesus' birthday. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than Christmas. Uh, I mean, in church on Christmas. I brought my friends. I brought my neighbors. We're all here. And you know what? I'll even, I will even let you in the door if you got on your jammy jams. Nobody's going to say you can't come. So even if you just bring your neighbor, you're just like, come on, neighbor. I just like saying jammy jams. And your jammy jams, and we'll have you in church. So we'll see what, what happens. But I'm going to start announcing that next week. But I just want everybody to get ready for that. John chapter 6, verse 16. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Did anybody do their homework this week? Read John chapter 6. few of you, two of you, three, four, five. Okay, some cool people. Those are my favorites, by the way. Those of you without your hands raised, we want you to know these are my favorites. Pastor, you're not supposed to have favorites. Well, you're not supposed to argue with pastor, okay? That's the way it works. I can have favorites. Now, here's how you can become my favorite next week. You do the homework. You do the homework, and you'll be my favorite. So even though I have favorites, everybody can be my favorite. John chapter 6, verse 16. We're in the Gospel of John series. I'm glad that you're here on this snowy day. But we got to turn our attention towards the water. Now, this is actually what it possibly could have looked like right here at the Lake of Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee, which they also called a lake because it's how, how they termed it, depending on who you're, you're reading in the Gospels. It would be very similar to kind of like our Lake Michigan. Michigan. Now imagine this as we talk about Jesus walking on the water today. Imagine if you were there today. 
cold, windy, everything going wrong on the boat could possibly go wrong, and you're on a little, little rowboat, would you guys be scared to get out and walk on the water? Let's be honest. Would you be scared? I mean, I know I would be scared, and that's the context we're in today, and I really wanted us to go down to the Lake of Michigan and try this. How many would have tried? And we just go one at a time, go out there in the middle of the lake one at a time, who's got faith, walk on water. Do you know, sadly, that you know that some Christians have actually died that way because they tried to go out and do this, and they didn't even know how to swim, sadly. And so this is where we got to understand that there are principles taught in the Word of God from the actual situations that took place. So unless you're Peter, Jesus is there with you, you cannot take that Word and apply it to yourself. Otherwise, you would get yourself in trouble, okay? Now, we can use the principle of the story and apply it to our life. So how many are ready to learn about not being afraid, walking on water? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Let's go to John chapter 6. Verse 16, here we go. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across for the lake of, uh, in the lake of Capernaum. Once again, that's the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. And let me just look at this with you guys real quick. Let's map this out so we can uh, do a little second service fun stuff, which we normally don't get to do in the other service. Let's see where that lake of Capernaum is and why it's getting called uh, the Sea of Galilee. This would have been nice if I would have done a little bit of my homework before I came. But I noticed this as I was studying, and I was like, you know what? Let me see if I can do this. And, of course, the computer just locked up. Did everybody notice the worship music, was, uh, that offering song was a little bit weird? Okay, let me try this again. Let me see here. No, it's not going to work. I'm sorry, guys. I tried. Now I've lost total connection. Now I have to go use a paper Bible. Has anybody ever no noticed I don't have a paper Bible with me? I was actually in a preaching class one time, and they're like, you young guys, you guys preach without a Bible in front of you, and that's not the way the old-timers did it. And I was literally thinking to myself, I'm like, first of all, you old-timers used to have to do it by word of mouth if you were around 2,000 years ago. You know, you're not that old. So anyways, the written version of our Bible came down later after the oral tradition. And of course, I respect the written Bible. But you know what? Whatever the Bible is written, if you guys would not touch it, that would be awesome right now. Thank you, because I do need to see if I can get back on. Uh, if, if the written Bible has came from oral tradition, then the paper that it's on is not what's valuable. The paper is not valuable. What is valuable? the spoken word or the word that the men wrote down from their words and then passed on. And so whether or not you have the paper of the word, it's not the white that counts, it's the black. Does everybody get that? The written word is an expression of the verbal word because even if they wrote it down, where did they get that from? The spoken word of the Holy Spirit. Does everybody get that? So it doesn't matter in what format you have the written word, or the, uh, it doesn't matter what format you have the written word, as long as it is the spoken word of Jesus. How many can say amen to that? I'm going to teach you about that in just a minute. If I can get my, there we go. Be free in Jesus' name. Has anybody ever heard the joke about where the, pig, uh, the demons went from the pigs? Anybody hear that before? So Jesus cast out all the demons out the pigs. How many were there? Does anybody remember? A legion is how much? About 5,000 demons. And what did they do? They waited for computers to be invented and have been living there ever since. And so now we have to cast them out. we got to cast them out of the, uh, the computers. Let's just go here real quick. Lake of Galilee, Capernaum, Israel. Let's just see what we're looking at here. This is uh, the Lake of Galilee. 
Yeah, so the Lake of Galilee, basically, just so we can get this all tied together, and I'm sorry this is boring, you guys. I just wanted to show this to you. Across the lake, here we go. They set across the lake for Capernaum, not the lake of Capernaum. I, that's where I mess up. It's the, let's see the difference between the Sea of Galilee. Let's see if the Sea of Galilee is also called a lake. That's what I want to see right here. See, there's the Sea of Galilee. This is what that bad boy looks like right here. So it looks like a lake, doesn't it? Because it's, it's in, it's inland. Does everybody see that? Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't see that. You don't. I'm sorry. You were excited. You were seeing this. You were seeing something. Let's put it that way. I was seeing something, Pastor. Whatever you're telling me, I'm supposed to see. I'm seeing it, I think. Okay. Do you, know, can I, do you guys ever notice, like, when you need to do something fast, your computer runs slow? Have you ever noticed that? Like, I could sit down at any given time of the day. I could sit down five in the evening at this church, and I could do 101 things at this internet, at this computer. Two in the morning, I would be blazing. I would be doing stuff. But I want to show you right now one little, one web page of the lake, which is also known as a sea, and I am totally blocked up on a slow internet feed right now. And so, guys, would you just be patient with me? Because I do think it will be totally worth it for you if I can show you the sea of Galilee. And I just want second service folk, you guys, you know, you come a little bit later, you, you know, I want you guys to get a little sun, sun extra, as we say in um, Louisiana, a little lanyard. There we go. Did everybody see that? Now do we know why the Sea of Galilee is also called a lake? Did you guys just learn something? Because I wanted to learn that with you, because I was noticing as I was going through... Um, my commentary is that it kept calling this the Sea of Galilee. This is where they were at, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. This is where they're crossing. You know, if you got Bible maps, it's showing you the journey. And where I was getting confused myself is it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. A lake and a sea are not the same thing. Does everybody get that? Sea, lake, not the same thing. When they got into a boat and set off, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And so now we know why the Sea of Galilee is called a lake. It's because it is inland, but maybe the reason why it's called a sea is because of how big it is. And so there may be something there in its size that determines what it is. And, and the preaching will be a lot better than this, but just hang on here. Yep, there we go. The Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Garneset. That was the other word I was saying, not, this, not the Lake of uh, Capernaum. That's what it is. And uh, we could probably get into the etymology of why it's also called a sea. Here we go. The lake has been called different names in history, usually depending on the dominant settlement of its shores, which changes its towns, etc. Okay, you guys ready for the message? That's where we're at. But now, by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. John is a unique gospel because he's written much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke and gives new information. What do we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke? The what gospels? 
The synoptic gospels, because they are synonymous, they sound the same. Thank you. They're very similar. Now, this is an interesting place that we got to work this word together here. Normally, John tells us things that the other gospels don't. It's very unique information. In the last two weeks of our signs, we've learned that John is sharing the same information of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But now there are differences, differences between them. This one is unique because his is the shortest, but Matthew gives us the longest. So now I want to borrow from Matthew and start to read the story again, and you see it being filled in. And then I want to talk to you about how the Gospels complement each other as surround sound. So go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 20. And let's start in that verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now there's something about this that you got to get right here. There's a storm that happens with the disciples in the boat, right? Many of these guys were fishermen, and they knew about fishing, and, and by knowing about fishing, you got to know about weather. They would not have got into a boat knowing that a storm was coming. And unless it would be just some random weather pattern, most of the time they always knew the storms when they were coming. They were very, very uh, very knowledgeable of local weather. And so this is an interesting thing to know right here is that Jesus basically makes them get into the boat. So you can almost see like, you know, like Jesus saying, hey guys, go into the boat. And like Peter going, hey Jesus, about ready to storm right now. I don't think we want to go into the boat. He's like, no, get into the boat. That's the impression you're getting here is he's making them get into the boat because they're like, there's going to be a storm and it's going to get pretty bad out there. How many of you are not fishermen, but you can pretty much tell when a bad storm is coming, clouds get dark, it starts to get windy. How many know that's not the time you want to take a rowboat onto a big lake like Lake Michigan? That's not what you want to do. So he literally makes them get into the boat, okay? Now he goes and prays. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from the land. Now watch this. See the surround sound here. Let me just give you the idea. How many know what surround sound is? Anybody know? There's usually, what, five speakers in surround sound, if you get them for your home system. Front left, front right. Rear left, rear right, and then they'll have a main in the middle. That's your five, and then if you count your sub, that's six. Do you guys get that? Now, let's just say you go to the movie theater. That's the same idea. There's going to be front sounds, back sounds, and then like a subwoofer or whatever. And then now, I guess boss is really cool. They're boss. They have one little strip of a speaker. They say you put it up, and it's supposed to do it all. I'm not quite convinced yet that somehow that sound's going to travel from there all the way around the room and come back. But I guess that's to bounce off walls or something. I don't know. Smarter than people than me made it. But the idea of the gospel, think of it the same way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Front left, right left, back left, right, back right. It's a surround sound. So here we see Matthew telling a story, and Matthew's gospel came before John, and uh, he's telling a story, and he says a considerable distance. But look at just John. Just once again, it shows you you're not reading myth. John actually tells you about how far they went. Matthew says they were a considerable distance on the lake, and then now John tells you we had a road about three to four miles. 
Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful how the Gospels are just complementing each other? It may not seem significant to you, but it's really important when you uh, hear critics try to put down our Bible in the category of myth. This is not myth. This is not storytelling. This is them recollecting via the Holy Spirit, speaking to them the actual events that happened. Okay, so they went a considerable distance, and now it says they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were what? They were what? Say that word. They were terrified. You want me to highlight and make it easy for you? They were, come on, one, more, one two, three. They were terrified. Thank you. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, what did he say? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, notice the surround sound here again of the Gospels. What we call this is harmonizing, literally, that's the word. It's a musical term, harmonizing the Gospels, Gospel harmony. So you could kind of think like um, the Gospel of John is singing something in this pitch. Uh, and just bear with me here. And then the Gospel of Matthew is like, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, they're like together. They're like pitch perfect. Does that make sense? They're harmonizing. So see if you caught it. What does Jesus say to them in John's gospel? It is I, don't be afraid. But what does he say in Matthew? What's the new part that comes there from Matthew? Take courage. Now here's what we have to understand, a little bit of the harmonization. Is there a contradiction here? Because people who don't like the Bible, don't like the Gospels, they're going to come to you and they're going to trick you. This is exactly how they do it, and I hear it all the time. They're going to say, do you believe the Bible? And you're like, yeah, I believe the Bible. You believe it's perfect? Yeah, it's perfect. It's the Word of God. Do you believe there's no mistakes? It's an errand, no problems. That's right. It doesn't, and it doesn't contradict itself. Yes, I believe that. Then they're going to say, then what did Jesus say? Did Jesus just say, it is I, don't be afraid? Or did he say, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid? Which did he say? Now, if you're naive and you're not ready to answer somebody back, you're going to be like, I, I don't know. Maybe there are mistakes in the Bible. But if you think it through, you can find a very simple harmonization principle here. The harmonization principle is, is whenever there is less and there's another place where there is more, the more is always the expansion of the less. It is never a contradiction. So what did he say? Did he say, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid? Or did he only say, it is I, don't be afraid? If you're going to take the principle of harmonization, the more helps you define the less. What is it going to be? The take courage portion, isn't it? And so think about it in everyday life. Let's say Juan and I go out for coffee, and then we go back to our wives at night and talk about the conversation. He may say to his wife that we talked about Bible study, you know, Moody, him as a student, all these different things. And I may go back to my wife and say, we talked about marriage. We talked about this. Well, is that a contradiction? Which one is right? Both are right because when you put them together, you harmonize them, you get the full story. The Gospels are not being written robotically by the Holy Spirit through the people. The Holy Spirit is inspiring them to write and to summarize what his intention is for that letter. John already knew this information was out there, so he is summarizing the information that Matthew and the Synoptic Gospels have. His is actually the shortest uh, um, account of the walking on the water. So you shouldn't take this as confusing. You should apply the principle of harmonization and go, what is more helps me understand what is less. Can I give you another example? 
In the Gospels, in one place, it says there was one blind man that was healed. In the same story, it says there was two blind men that were healed. And they're going to go, which one was it? Was it one or was it two? By the principle that I showed you of harmonization, the more defining the less, what are you going to say? It was it was two, because if I talked about one, that means if somebody else talked about two, that means that other guy was there, right? Now, what would be a real contradiction? What would be something that would be like, man, that's, that's a problem? It would be like verse 27 saying, but Jesus immediately said to them, get out the boat, guys, it's going down. Every man for himself. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Okay, and then the other one says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Contradiction, you know? Unless it started off, and then maybe you have to really start stretching these principles now. Maybe it could have started off. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Oh, there's a hole in the boat. Get out of here, guys. You know, But it's not going to go that way. It's generally not that complicated. So when you're looking at the stories of the Gospels, John is generally bringing up unique information. But however, in this time, he's not really bringing up much unique information. He did with a few miles there, and he actually showed us another miracle that the other Gospel writers don't. So maybe he has two things that are unique but in this situation it's actually all found in the synoptics and he is doing the summarization john is summarizing the synoptic information does that make sense because if not i'll have to talk to you for another 20 minutes about it like i did in the first service and you'll be here for so long and there'll be more snow out there and it'll be a long day for everybody can we move on from this are we good or do i need to pull it back out the stool i'm ready I'm telling you, first service, I had to sit down and start from the very, very, very beginning. But second service, you guys are the best. You guys are the best. No, I'm kidding. I said the first service people too. But anyways, but Jesus immediately said, immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And here's the whole story that John just totally leaves out. Now, this is very important to understand. Why would John leave out this story about Peter walking on water? It's an obvious reason. Because he was jelly that he didn't do it, and he doesn't want to tell, no, I'm kidding, he doesn't want to talk about Peter. Man, I should have got out the boat. I don't want to talk about Peter anymore, man, what's wrong? No, here's the thing, John's doing the signs. He's showing us things that point towards Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't need to tell us any of that information. All he needed to tell us is that Jesus walked on water and the boat got to shore, and that made his point to continue on why he wrote his gospel to show the signs. What's awesome about this, though, if you want to get a little bit more technical, is that Mark is not a eyewitness. When we talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mark is actually a relative of Barnabas, and he was the assistant to Peter. So Mark's account of the Gospels, uh, the Gospel is more than likely Peter's verbal account to him. So remember, Mark wasn't there. He wasn't an eyewitness, and he's a relative of Barnabas, one of the traveling companions of Jesus, uh, I mean of Paul. His full name is John Mark. But watch this. Guess, guess what Gospel doesn't have Peter walking on water. Guess what gospel? The gospel of Mark. And so what this does is this shows us something about Peter. When Peter rec recalls this story, he doesn't put himself into this portion of it. In Mark, the walking on the water is not there, and that is more than likely Peter's verbatim uh, uh, notes to Mark. And it just shows his humility. It just shows, like, I don't got to talk about this. I know my boy Matthew got me in his gospel about it. I think that's cool. So Jesus uh, gets, uh, says to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter says, tell me to come on to the water. Come, he said. He got up. Then Peter got out the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was what? 
He was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, You little of faith, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then they, uh, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Garanes, Garaneset. Oh, no, Gennesaret. Gennesaret. Now watch this. This is one last thing about the harmonization, and we'll, we'll move on. But this is another helpful nugget I think you guys will like. When people deal with the Gospel of John, if you go into the college level of what we call um, historical criticism and redaction criticism and all of these uh, textual criticisms of our text, what they're going to say is that John more than likely is not a real historical reference to Jesus' life because John starts off with theological points where the other ones start off with his birth, the the, the narrative, um, the... Uh, what do you call that thing? The scene where the nativity, to start off with the nativity scene, like the very Christmassy scene. But here's where John starts off. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everybody say, hi, Christology. Thank you. And so I wouldn't be doing my job as a great pastor unless I taught you some of these things, honestly. And I feel like Jared gave me a great compliment that I take to heart because he said, thank you for doing that for our church's sake. You guys need to learn these things. It's not just good enough to hear a cute story about Peter walking on water. We're going to walk on water with Jesus. And then you not understand your Bible because you don't live in that world anymore. You live in the 21st century where during this Christmas season, within five minutes of you watching the History Channel, they'll try to debunk your Gospels, tell you they're made up, they're contradicting, miracles don't happen, and Jesus really married Mary Magdalene and had it, you know, they're going to try to tell you all this, okay? Trust me, watch it come on the history channel and you're going to say i knows this is wrong because my pastor done told me amen and you're going to get sassy like that with it you're going to say look at you guys you don't know my pastor i'll get him on the phone now watch because they should call me up right they should bring me on those shows you know one day i'll be dr joe or whatever but just right now we got pastor joe we're going to interview him what do you think well, first of all, this guy's not even going to heaven. He's going to hell. He needs to repent. The second thing is this guy don't know what he's talking about. That's why I literally would do that. Get me on those shows, por favor, please. Everybody say, hi, Christology. Let this blow your mind. This is for my Moody Bible College student and SUM students. So they go, John, he's all theology. He just makes everything look like Jesus is God. Everything is about Jesus is God. He even tells you I'm writing these signs that you believe the son of, that Jesus is the Son of God. But hold on. In Matthew's gospel, which they give the credit to about being the most historical, it's, you know, Matthew starts off with the genealogies, the nativity scene. It's very, you know, historically done. This is probably one of the best texts that show the divinity of Jesus. And guess where it's found? In Matthew. And here's where it is, because some of y'all just like, I know Jesus gets worshipped because he's God. But you have to understand, this, if you didn't believe Jesus, if Jesus was not really God, this is idolatry. This is punishable unto death. These are Jewish people bowing down before a man worshiping him. Do you guys get that? And eventually that's why they killed Jesus because they wanted people to stop worshiping him. That was blasphemy. And here it is. Those who were in the boat did what? Worshiped him. Is that found in John's gospel? No. So when we look at John, we can look at John trustworthy and say he's not trying to force on us a different opinion of Jesus. The same Jesus he presents us in John chapter 1 is exactly the same Jesus we see in Matthew where Jesus is worshipped. The only difference is, is John starts you off from the beginning, the beginning of creation. Matthew wants to start you off when Jesus came into the earth. They're not contradicting, they're only complementing each other. Are you guys ready for the message? 
Amen. Okay, so those are some nuggies on what we call harmonization. We're learning the seven signs of John in the gospel. We've done the changing of water into wine, healing the royal official's son, healing the paralytic. Last week was feeding the 5,000. Today is Jesus walking on water, learning about not being afraid. Next week is going to be healing the blind man. So here's your big homework assignment, the biggest one out of the whole entire series. Here it is. Read John chapter 7, 8, and 9. Each chapter will take you a whole five minutes, guys, and 15 minutes. Can you guys read 15 minutes for Jesus this week? I believe that you can because you know what? If you shut down Facebook and put your face in his book, you'll get your 15 minutes. And you will get more than what you put in. You'll get out of it. Amen. You get nothing what you put out. Uh, you can get friendship out of Facebook, but you'll get the divine inspired word of God as you put your time into this. So we'll read the healing of the blind man. We'll take a break for our Christmas program. So that in two weeks we'll have our Christmas program. This is next week, healing the blind man. And then the last week of the year, Christmas, we're all here together, first and second service. It's going to be like a big, awesome family. We're going to talk about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And I can see a lot of, like, symbology here. Like, it's symbolic of, like, a year ending and then a new year starting. Lazarus was dead. He comes alive. How many want to leave some stuff in 2016 and see some new stuff in 2017? preach come on I'm going to do it by God's grace and then here we go once again for anybody who doesn't remember hasn't been here for a while or is new John chapter 20 the end of the book tells us why we should preach the book of John this way so if you're like why are you doing pastor a series on the book of John where you highlight the seven signs of Jesus well because that's why John wrote the book of John he told us to do it that way look at it Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So he knows Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, have a ton of other signs that are not recorded in this book. But verse 31, but these are written, that these are the ones we just went over. The seven signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the what? The Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing in his name you may have what? Life, praise God. And so that's what we want to look at. So let's break down this text. Somebody say, break it down. Hey, man, let's break it down, then I'll preach, preach it down, all right? Yeah, come on, that sounded about cool. It was close to cool. Break it down, then preach it down. I like that. Let's look at these two passages together, John and Matthew. Here we go. John's gospel gives the shortest account of Jesus walking on the water, most likely because he knew that the people were aware of Matthew and Mark's accounts in their gospels. And we went over that, so now you can have a good explanation to why John is summarizing. His point just was that Jesus could walk on water and control nature. That's what he wanted to show you there, so you would see he's the Son of God. Now, after that miraculous feeding, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him so that he can pray by himself. And we see the importance of prayer here. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's just understand that that was because Jesus wanted to pray. Then, after they had been struggling on the water for quite some time, only going a few miles, they see Jesus walking and are afraid. Now, right here in the, at this point, we need to understand these are fishermen. These are experienced people on the water, and they are afraid. And it was first for the weather sake they think they're going to die because it's bad weather and Jesus has a habit of putting them in bad weather as fishermen and this is where I just kind of stop and this I'm not a comedian and I promise you I did not hear this from a Christian comedian but I need some of you guys to just track with me it's okay don't laugh it's, it's not funny but track with me on one of my bike rides me thinking about Jesus praying practical jokes with us because I literally started thinking about the gospel of John and these seven signs and I'm like thinking this is almost like a comedy act here about Jesus showing us his sense of humor. So just track with me. 
we, let's put ourselves in Adam and Eve's position, like all males can be Adam, all females be Eve. Okay, so we as humanity are in the Garden of Eden. We sin. We then hide from God and do what? Puts fig leaves around ourselves, you know, like that's going to do anything. We, we hide from God, and then he has to kick us out the garden. And you can almost get this impression that Jesus is pretty much saying, you guys, I, I gave you everything. I gave you a perfect body. I gave you a perfect wife, perfect husband, a perfect relationship with me. And you guys blew it, and now I have to come down here myself and fix your mess, okay? Now that Jesus is coming down to fix our mess, I feel like he's kind of messing with us a little bit because he tells these guys to go out into the storm. How I many that's, that's that's a little bit wrong thing to do to a fisherman, right? But then he comes walking on the water to them. Fishermen are some of the most superstitious people you'll ever meet. They've already had their own superstitions about ghosts. And he does that on purpose to these guys to mess with them. And the Bible says he was going to walk right by them if they wouldn't have said anything. Now think about this from their perspective. It's like, Jesus, why in the world am I on a boat? Why in the world are you coming as a ghost? Why are you about ready to walk by us and not even say anything to us? And he's like, because I have to be down here to fix your mess. I'm going to kind of tease you a little bit. And I take that same that same mindset to what he's doing at the wedding. Just think about Jesus. He's at the wedding. He's sitting here chilling. His, his mother says to him, you make some wine. And he goes, woman, what are you asking me to do this for? Once again, like, y'all fix your own problems. Feeding of the 5,000. Put yourself in this position. Imagine you are a little kid. You're with your dad. Your dad says, get whatever you want. Get whatever you want. You take everything that you want, put it into carts, you stand there before the cashier, and your dad literally looks at you with the cashier, people behind you, cashier look at you, and your dad says to you, you pay for it now. How many know that's a little practical joke to a kid? The kid's like, I don't have any money. You pay for it now. That's what he does. 5,000 men, 20,000 people. Jesus looks at Philip, literally looks at Philip and goes, hey, man, why don't you feed him? You can almost see once again Jesus being a little sassy with these guys like, I'm down here. I have to be here to save you guys. I'm going to keep messing with you. Even gets better than that. The sick man, right? You're just thinking to yourself, I'm sick. I've been here 38 years. What does Jesus do with the sick man? Dude, do you want to get well? I mean, could you almost just pause and just think to yourself as the sick man? Like, do I want to get well? I've been here 38 years. I hobble along here to get here every day. You know, you're asking me if I want, of course I want to get well. And it, and, it, and it continues, like I said, I'm not even a comedian, but I'm thinking about this on my bike ride, and I'm laughing. I'm literally laughing to myself, thinking about these things. Lazarus, because I don't even know if I'll bring this back up when I talk about Lazarus. Lazarus dies. He dies. The, the people come to him and tell him he died. he's dead. He looks at him, and he goes, dude, he's just sleeping. They're like, Jesus, I don't know what you understand here. He's not sleeping. We tried to wake him up. Literally, just what he tells them. He, he tells him he's, he's sleeping, and, and they go to him. They go, no, he's not sleeping, Jesus. Then Jesus tells them, no, he is sleeping. And they argue about whether or not he's sleeping. And then literally Jesus tells you can read in the book of John. That's why you got to do your homework. Jesus goes, I know he's dead. I know he's dead. I just don't want to do anything about it right now. He takes three days. Listen to me. Three days to come and help him. At this point, people are mocking him. People are mocking him, going, if you love this guy, why didn't you do anything? His body stinks by now. He then says, I'm going to raise him from the dead. They don't even believe he's going to raise him from the dead. They're like, oh, yeah, in the last days you'll raise him from the dead. He's like, no, I'm going to do it now because he's messing with them. He's absolutely messing with them. If you look at these signs as a person with a little bit of a sense of humor, 
And the same thing with the royal official. This guy comes because his son is dying. I know it sounds harsh. The son is dying. And Jesus gives one of the most intense rebukes to backslidden people you could possibly get. And this guy's sitting on his knees going, I'm not even those guys you're talking about. But he does this. Why? I think to mess with us, to humble us, to show us I had to come here to save you guys. And while I'm here, I'm going to remind you, I'm in charge. I'm going to put fishermen out on a boat in the middle of the storm and make them scream like little girls, like they're about ready to die. I'm going to take, I'm going to ask sick people if they want to get well. I'm going to ask one of my disciples if he can feed 20,000 people on the spot. I'm going to have a servant get, I'm going to, I'm going to have a centurion royal official get rebuked in front of everybody to see if he can take it. And then I'm going to, we'll get to the blind man later. Then I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell my best friend who died that he's just sleeping and I'm going to come wake him up. Okay, there's my comedy routine if anybody wants to take it and make it funnier. But I'm telling you, I went through those on my bike ride and I just said, I like this kind of Jesus because I could see myself doing this to my kids. I could see myself putting all these groceries in a basket and telling my kids to pay for it. I could see this. But, the, but what we see beyond the sense of humor, because it's not really about being funny, but what we see beyond the sense of humor is that Jesus is teaching them lessons, and this is where you want to be theological, that we had not known because we had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We had forgot that he was in charge of wind and waves, so he had to freak us out to remind us of that. He had to show us that he's the one who gives us all things. That's why he brought us to the point of needing to feed the 5,000, that he can multiply wine, that he's the life of the party. He's literally showing us everything we have forgotten about him as humanity so that we can be reminded of it, and John's signs show us that. And so when the disciples were struggling to row against the storm, Jesus comes, they're afraid. Jesus identifies himself and tells them not to be be afraid. And then Peter calls out and asks Jesus to walk on water. Now I just want to know, are there any Peters here today that would be that bold and crazy and be like, hey Jesus, that's you. Why don't you tell me to come? Who would do that? No, come on. There have to be a few of you. I think I would do it. I'm not saying I wouldn't be afraid. I would be afraid. But once I got to the point, I'm like, well, if we're going to die, if we're going to die by drowning, why not try at least to walk on this water for a little bit before we die? That would be my mindset. I don't know, but I, I'm serious. I am that kind of guy. Um, I was uh, doing this virtual reality thing. I don't know if you guys have seen that in the mall. You know, it's like uh, at, at Microsoft, they have a virtual reality thing set up. And, and it's weird because you actually get in this thing, you think that you're there. And within a moment, Dude, I was, like, trying to fly. I was trying to jump off this cliff. I was, like, shooting everything. She was like, man, you're having a lot of fun, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I love that. So you give me the chance to walk on water. I think I'm going to try to go for it. Now, I probably wouldn't last that long. Now we're going to talk about why he didn't, but at least Peter walked on water. You can't make fun of him too much, right? Because, like, if you were John and you wanted to give it to him a little bit, it's like, Peter, <laughs> you fell. And then Peter could be like, at least I got out the boat, dude. Right? At least I got, you know, sometimes we laugh at people who get wet by trying to walk on water, but at least they didn't just sit there and do nothing. All right? So uh, we see then that Jesus comes into the, pe the, the boat with wet Peter, calms the storms, disciples worship him as the son of God. And then guess what? Here's the thing that John tells us that the other gospels don't, and it is a part of the story. It's another miracle. I don't know if you caught it, but once Jesus got into the boat, they immediately reached the shore. Did you see this? It's a miracle of transportation. Not only did I see this, commentaries have seen it. It's not something I'm just making up, but most of us read by it too fast to get it. Then they willingly took him into the boat. This is John 6, 21. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were staying. Or we're heading. 
Okay, now this is where we got to stop right here and put these two miracles together, or technically three. Jesus walking on water, Peter walking on water, and the boat being beamed me up, Scotty, to another location. This is where we have got to stop and talk about miracles for a minute in our 21st century church, don't we? Because if you're going to take the Bible serious, then you are compelled to believe in those three things. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week with the feeding of the 5,000. And the moment I got out of here, man, bing, I got a great example to share this with you. Are you guys ready? Okay. Because as Christians, we can become like atheists. And I'll tell you how we become like atheists. We'll believe it on Sunday and kind of check out our brain because we're here to have good feelings. We want to feel good. So since feeling good will require us to believe that Peter walked on water because that's going to be our example about doing impossible things in life. And, and I want to feel good and I want to believe I can do anything. We'll just check our brain off and just go, I don't care how that happened, whatever that was, even if it didn't happen. As long as it's a good motivating story, I'm ready to go. And, and that's kind of like some people are, okay? Now, what that is, is like a Christian atheist. You're basically shutting that part of your brain off. And then next, uh, tomorrow, you know, and next week and time goes on, you're going to live your life pretty much as everybody else does. You're not going to live your life believing in miracles. You're certainly not going to try to walk on water or do anything like that. So you're going to be really rationally minded. And over time, what you'll see is a battle begin to develop in your mind. If you're going to be honest with yourself. There's going to be one part that says, oh, I believe in supernatural stuff. And then there's going to be another part of you that says, well, I'm, I'm rational, you know. And if you don't check yourself, this part right here, the rational part, will start to tell you that this part really doesn't happen and that those are just good stories. I don't know if you've already been confronted with that. And believe it or not, since I was raised in church, by the time I was 16 years old, this is the way I thought, okay? And then I changed, became very atheistic thinking. So if you guys ever wonder, why is he always talking about people don't believe in God, don't believe in God? Because I did not believe in God. I would call up literally the Christian channels on TV, those little numbers. I would call them up, make fun of them, say I was demon-possessed, and it just, it was, it was bad. It was bad. I would talk dirty to them. I was a, just an antichrist person. I ripped up my parents, the Bible my parents gave me in front of my parents, ripped it up. I listened to rock and roll that hated God, you know. I'm telling you, I was very much like this, even though I had been brought up to believe this. And I, and I thought Christians who believed this were just, were stupid. And so when I hear people saying this, now I can relate. So what we got to do is do two things. Number one, the Christian has to have a basis of understanding miracles. You need to understand it and understand that it's not illogical to believe in miracles. So you guys ready for this example? I hope that you are, because it's coming whether you're ready or not, Okay. Here's this example, and I want my man right here, Derry, the engineer, Daryl rather, to think about this, the thinker of our church. Think about this. It's so simple, but we can miss it, but I think he's going to love this. Imagine if you were the creator of a cartoon. You have a computer, a program, whatever you are doing, and you are creating, let's say, The Simpsons. You are creating Family Guy, whatever. You're creating that cartoon. As you, as the creator of that cartoon, could you make a person in your cartoon walk on the water that you created in the cartoon? Could you do that? Is that logically possible? If you don't think it's logically possible, let's practice right now with stick figures and a, pencil, a piece of paper and a pencil in front of you. Do it right now. Who's got a pen? Who's got a pen? Come on. Get out a pen and paper. One, two of you, three of you. All you young people out there who get bored sometimes falling asleep. Get out a piece of paper. Draw a stick man and draw him on water. Do it. Just do it. Come on. I want somebody to do it with me right now. I wish I had one of those draw pads right here. What did you just do? 
Come on, somebody do it. You created something, right? You created a person walking on water. Could you do that in a cartoon? How many know uh, computer-animated graphics, that, that CG? That's what it's called, computer graphics. Um, you see this in movies now. It, it looks like something is happening. They use those green screens, right? Okay, now watch this. Nothing illogical about that, is it? Because you are the creator of that cartoon. You have created that stick figure on your piece of paper, haven't you? Now, apply it to God. You know where I'm going with this. Can God, the creator of particles, of string theory, of quantum physics, can that creator do these things in his creation? Absolutely. Put yourself in that same position of the feeding of the 5,000. Can you create the, com uh, the computer uh, that every time Bart Simpson reaches into a basket, he pulls out a loaf of bread and feeds the people next to him. Pulls out a loaf of bread out of that basket. How many loaves of bread could Bart Simpson pull out of that basket if you were the creator? How many? An infant, as many as you wanted. You could have it go all day. You could have started, think about this, you could have started a program that had him doing that, that it runs 24-7. Now, here's the thing that even people back then didn't understand, but they were simple enough to believe. Creator, creation. God can do anything. And this is where we forget it in our culture. Now we can look at the world through a microscope and see that everything is made of particles. Where do those particles come from? If they didn't come from God, where did they come from? I mean, we're all able to do science right here. Some people are like, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. You've heard this a lot here in the church. But this is very good for us to stop in the discussion of miracles to see what we believe. Do you believe science trumps God? No, because God created science. You couldn't have science without God's creation, right? You couldn't do science without a scientist. First of all, the science walk around as a capital S and C, like in uh, Sesame Street, there's this word called science walking around. Hello, I'm science. Who does science? Scientists. How do scientists do science? Well, they do it with creation. Where did scientists get creation from? Did they make it themselves? Maybe you've heard that, that little joke about God and the devil talking, and, and then the devil says, I could have created man so much better. God, would you let me create man? I could do this so much better. And God goes, sure, just get your own dirt first. See, the devil can only manipulate and change what God has already created. The devil can't bring anything out of nothing into existence. He can't do one thing. He listened to me, my friends, from the grain of sand you hold in your hand to the largest mountain you've ever seen has all come from the same God. Without God, none of it would exist. Not a grain of sand, not a mountain. And we all know now from looking at microscopes that it's all particles. It's literally like little grains of sand forming things like our body, forming things like the, the material world we see. So the material world, the naturalistic world, where did it come from? Did the chicken create itself through an egg? Think about that. If you saw a chicken right now and you could talk to it, would you, would, would you believe it if the chicken said to you, I laid my own egg and came from myself? Could that chicken bec become a chicken by laying its own egg and creating itself? No. And now, not only is, is what we hear today in the world of natural explanations worse than that, uh, as bad as that, it's actually worse than that, because when they say that this world came from nothing, nothing has absolutely no properties. That's why it's nothing. Sometimes you'll hear an atheist say, well, if you have the laws of quantum physics and then you have these vacuums and the particles could join together in a black hole and explode and all that, well, where did the laws of physics come from? Did they just float around calling themselves the laws of physics? 
Where did the vacuum come from? Where do part? Does everybody get where that goes? So now fast forward to Jesus. Who's here on the water? God in the flesh. The creator. The creator. Now, you want to watch this? Go back to John 1.1 1, 1 and let this blow your mind. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then you go down to John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you want to know how amazing this is, spectacular this is? Go back to that example of the creator of the Bart Simpson thing, making everything. Now imagine this. The creator enters into the creation, enters into the cartoon, still maintaining all the powers of the creator. So now, Daryl, the creator of the Simpsons is in the Simpsons program. What do you think he's doing when he's walking around? He's going to do whatever he wants to do. He's going to walk on water like it's nothing because he knows what it is. He has total power and control over it. He's going to make bread rain like it's nothing because he has total power over it. He is going to turn things in, like water into wine. He is going to heal eyes. He is going to show you what God looks like among men. What it looks like when the creator enters into his creation. So my friends, never think to yourself. And let me show you. Uh, the quote, just so you guys can think it uh, a little bit more clearly if you guys want to be deep thinkers, because I, I posted it on Facebook last week, but um, I didn't see any of you guys like it, so I don't know if you guys saw it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Have kids. Sometimes I'm insecure about that. There we go. C.S. Lewis on miracles. This is what C.S. Lewis said about miracles. You guys can get this uh, whole book that he wrote on miracles as well, but this is really awesome. Miracles, in fact, don't break the laws of nature. And I wish, do I have the, uh, the bigger quote? Oh, I want the bigger quote. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Nothing can seem extraordinary until you have discovered what is ordinary. Belief in miracles, far from depending on an ignorance of the laws of nature, is only possible insofar as those laws are known. If everybody could walk on water, how would you know it's a miracle to walk on water? So the very fact that miracles don't violate the laws of nature, they show you what the laws of nature they 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 show you what the laws of nature look like without divine intervention. And when divine intervention intervenes, the laws of nature are there to show you the contrast so that a miracle has happened. Without, without you knowing the law of gravity, the walking on of water would mean nothing. So if we lived in a nonsensical world, we would never know if God was among us. But since we live in a world of law and order, and there's a God superseding that law and order, it becomes the black to contrast the white. We now know that miracles are happening among us because they don't happen ordinarily. And so once again, to believe that our Creator could walk on water it's not against the laws of nature. It's actually showing us as a backdrop what laws of nature are there for, and our God is superseding them by his creative power, his ability to write divine code. Can I get an amen? Still haven't got to the preaching part yet, but I thought that breakdown would help you a little bit. Let's keep going here. Jesus calms the storm. His disciples worship him, and then they immediately reach to the end of the shore. Do you know that there's another place in the Bible of a miracle of transportation? Who took a beam-me-up Scotty ride in the Bible? Philip. 
You read the Bible in the book of Acts. Philip is in one place. He spits out in another place. That's literally what happened to Philip. God took Philip on what we would call a beam-me-up trip. And now when you look at, think about this, because back then they don't know what's going on. I mean, they, 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 they're, they're simple in the sense of science, but they're just like us. It's not like we've gotten smarter over time. It's just we've had more time to discover stuff. So they were just as smart as us. They just didn't have the same opportunity to build upon other people's shoulders. It took thousands of years for us building upon each other's shoulders, it's equally smart people, to have the knowledge that we have. When you look at those, say, science fiction shows, and, and beam me up, Scotty, somebody gets beamed, they show you like a little dust, right, like a little dust. What is that just showing us in the scientific world? That man is made of particles. We're taking his particles, sucking them up, and, and doing this here. Could God do that with that man's body? Could he do that with that person's body? Could God have control over that? Now, don't ask me questions like, can uh, God send you back in time? I think that would be illogical because I think time travel for humans is illogical. That's another point because it has a, has a contradicting loop. If anybody watches science fiction, you'll know that the time travel loop for humans produces an inescapable loop. So I think time travel for us is impossible, but God is able to contain time in his hand as one, as a ball. Instead of looking at time as a linear beginning, middle, and in God looks at it like a circle and he can hold it all at once and if we try to come in and out of that circle we will contradict ourselves because we are not all um, uh, we are not ever present so we can only be present at one time that's why eventually you'll have like five um, whatever that guy's was from back to the future you'll keep having a bunch of you showing up in the same place and then you'll just you'll eventually become if you would follow that out to its logical end which I'm, I'm on a second service rabbit trail so just follow me here in time travel if you follow that to its logical end, basically you will become everywhere at every place at every time. You'll become God, and you couldn't become God, so time travel to do it once would become impossible. Talk to me about that later if you want some more nuggies on that. But Philip got beamed me up from one place to the other. Do you believe that? Okay, how about this? Watch this. This sounds stupid and crazy if, you, if, if, you don't, if you're not smart like everybody else because smart people don't believe stuff like this. What did Jesus say? If you have faith, you can say to this mountain, move yourself and go into the sea. Isn't that dumb? Ha, 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 ha. That's so dumb. Until you start understanding how powerful our God is. Until you understand that that's nothing but, you know, particles that our God made. Can he not frame them and do that? How about you right now? I mean, if we wanted to create, just on our piece of paper, could you create a mountain like a triangle, kind of like a little pyramid thing? Erase it and then go, you're going over here into the sea. Bloop, 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 bloop. How many could do that with a piece of paper and a pencil? How many think an all-powerful God could go bloop, bloop? So he's teaching you that, isn't he? He's saying, I am the creator. This is creation. Somebody say, preach it. Okay, I think, just be honest, I did have a few rabbit trails, but then you guys needed to go a little bit extra. So I, I'll tell you what, I won't keep you two extra hours, I'll just keep you one extra hour. Is that a good compromise? Okay, so only till four now, okay. It would have been to five, but I knew I had some of my own rabbit trails. Here's the application, you guys ready? Number one, always make time to pray by yourself, by yourself. Jesus made time to pray. Think about this now. Everybody get the deep application here. Jesus, Son of God, always existing with the Father, is now on earth, and he says, guys, I got to get alone and talk to him. When was the last time you got alone and talked with God for some time? This shows us if the Son of God thought it was important to get by himself to talk to the Father, how much more should we? 
And now put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Why do you think he wants to spend so much time with the Father? Because he's like, I miss you down here. It's not the same without you. This ain't the Garden of Eden anymore, Father. There's a lot of hurt and pain. I need to connect with you again. I need to hear your voice with you, to spend time with you, hear your voice, because he was always at the Father's side, and he came down to be with us. And if that is the way Jesus looked at prayer based on relationship, how much more should we yearn for the Father and say, Father, I'm alone here. I don't have hope here. There's death here. I can't even see heaven here. I'm blinded by the the sinfulness of my own flesh and my own corruption of my eyes. My spirit is here, but it won't be loose until this body dies. So Jesus, would you, uh, Father, would you come to me in the name of Jesus? I can't go to you, but would you come to me? Jesus understood that principle, and he knew that's what prayer was. Prayer wasn't just reciting a couple things written down. Prayer was having the Father come to him because he couldn't go up there. Look at what Jesus taught uh, earlier on in Matthew. He says, but when you pray, go into a room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Right now, we see these things, don't we? All these material things. But where did these material things come from? The spiritual world. Spirit came first, then the material world. And so sometimes your heart can get so heavy by all the material things that you need to connect back to what you were made for. You were made for spiritual connection. Even as deep as my wife and I's physical connection can go. And how many are happy for marriage? Amen. As deep as that can go, it's not as deep as the Holy Spirit can go. Can I get an amen? Amen. The next thing that we learned from this is that you need to do all the good that you can do. The disciples willingly obeyed Jesus, even though they knew going in the boat on on a night that it's going to storm is not a good idea. It's like, Jesus, we really don't want to go. But if you want us to go, we're going to go. And it says they rode three to four miles. What this teaches us is that the greatest miracles are going to often come through our obedience. See, Jesus didn't start walking on the water right where they were at. He sent them out for them purposely to exhaust their strength. Not because he wanted them to um, get burnt out, but because he wanted them to understand the difference between what their strength can do and what his strength can do. And so often we find ourselves in tests and we get discouraged and want to give up because our strength fails. But God is wanting us at that moment to go, I need you, Jesus. There are, see, you and I will not see God like these disciples until our strength fails. We will not be in a place to really hear the word, don't be afraid, until we're scared out of our mind. See, you don't hear the word, don't be afraid, when everything's good. You don't hear the word of the Lord come to you when it's payday, when everybody loves you, but listen to your heart during the hardest times of your life and how much more open you are to God. As a matter of fact, if you were keeping a journal like like how I encourage you guys to do, you'll probably notice in the trials and the hardships of your life, you pray more, and the times when everything is going good, you pray less. And I've seen that in my own life. And so this doesn't give us an excuse to pray all the time and not do anything. No, we pray and we work and we do exactly what Jesus tells us to do. But we keep in mind that our strength may fail us and one day will fail us, but God won't if we stick with him. He'll give us the strength to do what we can. Let me just show you this before I go to Galatians 9. The Bible says that even the youth will grow weary and faint. Anybody read that before? 
and they will grow weary and faint. And so everybody will reach a time when they can't go anymore, and you're going to need to depend upon God's supernatural strength. And so if you're at a point right now where you're saying, man, I am tired. I don't know if I can do this. You're at the point where you can see God's strength. Look at what it says here, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 teaches us this principle. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And so the question is, are you willing to give God everything you have so that when you come to your end, you're ready to try it his way? And let me just say this again. Let me say this again. Everybody look up at me, please. The reason why some of you are not desperate to do it, uh, not, are not willing to do it God's way is because you're not desperate enough. When you think you can fix your life with a couple college degrees, a couple uh, paychecks, and a couple boyfriend, girlfriend, or marriage, when you think you can fix your life that way, you're not ready to call out to God. You're not ready to start walking on water. You're not ready for the miracle. The miracle comes when you've done all the good you can. You're sitting at the bedside of your loved one, and you've done, you say, I've done everything. I've prayed. I, I, I've done everything. They're still sick and dying. God, I need you now. I'm so afraid. You're ready for a miracle now. Do you understand the difference? So often we want to put ourselves in comfortable places and say, God, do the miracle. Like, I'll walk on water with Peter as long as it's in a pool, only about four feet deep. And the boats, like kind of those one boats that are anchored to the, to the bottom, you know, like my kids slide down on them. You've been to those water parks. It's a boat. It, it is a boat, but it's anchored down. It's like a little slide. It's like, I'll try walking on the water that way. And God says, no, I want to bring you to the end of your strength. Do everything I ask you to do. Get ready to quit. Get ready to, to stop. And then look to me for help. Galatians says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. The next application that we get out of this is that we need to learn to recognize Jesus. It's kind of cool that they did call out to Jesus the way they did, but if we're going to learn a lesson from them, because I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have done it any different, but if we're going to learn a lesson from them, we should, they should have never thought it was a ghost to begin with. Ghosts don't exist in the Bible. There's either angels or demons. That's it. Spirits of the departed are not allowed to be on this planet. They don't exist. If you ever see a spirit of the departed in your life, in your dreams, in your family's life, cast them out in Jesus' name. They are a familiar spirit, a demonic spirit, appearing as somebody you know and love to deceive you. And you may say, they have told me so many things. They have comforted in my heart. That is their deception. That's why the Bible says, do not believe every spirit, but test every spirit. Here's how you will test that spirit when it comes to you. Say, go in the name of Jesus. And if it still stays, then you can uh, talk to it and you'll realize that, you know, that's a good spirit. But they will not stay. Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus, oh, excuse me, that's the wrong chapter. First uh, John chapter three, First John, yeah, chapter. Is it John chapter? No, it's not John. It is chapter two. Did I put in chapter four to begin with? I did. Something happened. I don't know. Dear friends, do not believe every what. Thank you. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is, does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You all get that. Okay, so now let's go back to this. What do we need to get from this? We need to learn to recognize Jesus because you know what Mark says, as I mentioned before, Mark 6, 48 says this, he was about to pass by them. He was about ready to pass them by. They're on the boat. They're in a storm. They feel like they're going to die, and Jesus literally is just walking right by on the water. He would not have stopped. He would not, it says, unless they called out to him. 
thankfully, they didn't let their bad theology, their false superstitious beliefs stop them, but it could have. And so my thing is, I wonder if some of you are not recognizing Jesus because you don't know what Jesus looks like. You think Jesus is something else. You think Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. And Jesus literally is walking by you all the time because you don't recognize him. You have to learn to recognize Jesus. What does Jesus say to troubled marriages? Does he say get a divorce? See, if you're hearing that in your heart, test that spirit. That's not a spirit from God. That's a ghost of your imagination. Because if you're married, Jesus is saying, what I've joined together, let no man tear apart. Jesus is saying, love each other. Jesus is saying, don't give up on each other. Until there's, and there are grounds for divorce, adultery, uh, abuse, and abandonment. For, they say if, if they don't want to serve God and they leave you, you can, do, you, you can let them leave you. That's abandonment, abuse. You can get out of there. Adultery. But a lot of people, we just want no-fault divorce. Just I want to give up, start again, prettier thing, better-looking man, whatever. We get along better with the, you know, a secretary. I get along better with her or whatever. No, the Bible says that's not the wrong spirit. So we don't recognize Jesus. What, what, what does Jesus look like in a teenager's life? Teenagers in the back. He looks like saying, obey your father and your mother. That's what he looks like. And so if you don't want to hear that, but you want to hear Lady Gaga, that's not Jesus. And so Jesus is walking right by you, and your life is busted and disgusted, and you're wondering why all these problems are happening, because you don't get hit on the head with the Jesus mind when you come to church. You have to accept Jesus' teachings and live for it. Can I give an amen from these teenagers? Amen from the teenagers. That's right. So Jesus says to you, obey your parents. So if you don't recognize Jesus, what does Jesus say to your finances? Keep working on Sundays. Keep keeping the tithe because you know you need that money. No, what does he say to you and your finances? Put me first. Put my house first. Give me your best. Be sacrificial, and I'll provide for the rest. Isn't that what he says? So you're looking for Jesus to make it rain on your job, and you're wondering why nothing is ever working out because you can't make it happen with 100% when you're cursed. But with 90% and blessed, you can have more than you've ever dreamed of. Come on, somebody. This is the principle of learning how to recognize Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus will pass you by. Here's the heart of the message. I wish I had more time, but I think you got a lot of nuggies out of today. Is that we need to take courage and not be afraid. I believe Jesus said both of those statements. Take courage, don't be afraid. So whenever you are with Jesus and you, you have nothing to be afraid of, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus said. So let's just talk about this real quick. So Peter's on the boat. He's afraid. He's a fisherman. You don't walk on water. That's not normal. He's really scared. But yet something on the inside of him says, I'm going to call out to Jesus. See, I believe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to him. All good things will come from God. And I believe the Holy Spirit was there talking to Peter. As the Bible says, deep calls out to deep. And what that illustration is, is as the tide comes, uh, comes in, it then pulls it right back out. It comes in, you know, through those waters and the waves, and then it pulls it back out through the undertow. And the idea is deep cries out to deep. And you have to hear what the Lord is saying. But it is so easy in the midst of fear to only hear what this is saying. What this is saying, you get what I'm saying. You you look at your brain as thoughts. You like look at it like as uh, as like a um, let's say a caption. Like you're standing in this situation and the captions are underneath you, like a, you know closed caption. And it's like saying, I'm going to die. Nobody loves me. I'm really afraid. This is not going to work out. Probably God's not real. This is never going to work out. And that's what you're thinking all the time as you're going through life. And what God wants to do is to have you stop thinking there, but start thinking here. 
Start thinking with the heart of God. Start hearing what God is saying. Start putting your mind on what God is saying. And where does that start? It starts with that prayer we talked about before. Why was Jesus so confident to walk on water? Because he had talked with the Father. He always did what the Father said. He was always in the Father's plan. Now, some of you think, well, that's easy when you're Jesus walking on water. But what about when problems come, right? Well, hold on. That is Jesus showing us how to deal with problems. And the disciples took that serious. Two of them, Paul and Silas, were whipped like Jesus 39 times, but they weren't crucified. Whipped 39 times, thrown into a jail cell. And what did they start doing around midnight? Started praising and worshiping God. Why? Because they understood the principle. God is with me, even in the jail cell. Even as this body is fading away, I'm going from glory to glory in my spirit. I won't listen to the fearful thoughts of my brain. I will listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart. And it may seem counterproductive to start singing songs in a jail cell with my back laid open and bloody, but I will do it because that's what my spirit is calling for. The deep things of my heart calling to the deep things of God. The deep things of God calling to the deep things of me. And that's where we take our courage. We take our courage there. You will never have to take courage unless you are facing a situation where you've done everything you can do. You cannot do anything else. And God is now saying, trust me. That is faith. Faith, my friends, is the same as courage in the Bible. That really is synonymous in the Bible. Put those two words together in your mind. Faith is courage. Faith is not make-believe. And I love seeing these kind of movies where they teach us those principles. I've been watching Lord of the Rings with my kids over the holidays, and I wrote a little song because of it. It's amazing. Maybe we'll, we'll sing it one day here, but I, we already did the first service. And Jerry, I don't know. It's up to you guys. Maybe you can help her. You can try. Well, we got to know the notes, but here's the deal. No pressure. Here's the deal. You know what I loved about that is the hobbits. The hobbits of Lord of the Rings were the ones that had courage. And that's why they were chosen to go on the task. And here you have all these great warriors, the elves, the men, the, uh, all these, uh, the, the, not the trolls, but the, the dwarves, the wizards. And yet oftentimes in the movie, who is the one that has the most courage? It's the little hobbit. It's the little hobbit. And then another little side issue to that is like it's the heart of a child. It's the heart that says, I believe I can make it through this. I can get through this. And they're not weighing all of the bad things. The child is thinking, I can do this. And this will give you a perfect example. So I've taught my son how to ride his bike. He's really cool. He loves to ride his bike. But he has no idea of what speed can do to you on a bike and how jumping off things on a bike can hurt. And so he starts riding as fast as he can, and he'll go right off the sidewalk, right off those uh, the, uh curves and catch air not on purpose mind you it's because he gets a little bit out of control but he'll still keep going fast the next time and I'll be honest with you this one time I was riding with him and I was going pretty fast he passes by me launches himself off the curb and it's like one of those jumps and the bike starts going like this and then like he skids out and this whole thing and I'm here to tell you he got right back up got back on his bike and started pedaling he was crying a little bit and a little bit bloody um, and a little terrified after the fact, but at that moment, I don't know if it was the adrenaline, he just, he got, and then he got back up, and he just started going, and I'm like thinking, if any one of us would have just had that happen, we'd be laying on the ground for quite some time. You know, I'm just telling you, you'd be laying on the ground. I don't even want to point fingers at my friend who keeps getting injured at every possible hobby he can do, whether it's football, basketball, or whatever. I'm not going to point him out. But some adults are just, you get hurt, you're injury prone, you get a little shy, you become a little sketchy and afraid to try things in life. But that's not my brother back there. But anyways, 
Here you have Peter. He's saying, I mean, let's just put it together. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that that's Jesus. He's walking on water. Why not? Call me out to come to you, Jesus. And I think that's the kind of faith that we need to have. We need to have a courageous faith that says, you know what? I don't control my life anyway. I don't control my life. And you think, come on, guys, do you think I control 100 cars on the freeway today? There was a family of four, two, uh, they were missionaries, or a family of five. It was mother, father, and I think two or three children all in the car. A semi-truck bounces over the median, hits them, smashes them like a pop can. All five of these missionaries, I mean, the missionaries and their children, all five of them, the entire family goes to meet Jesus within 30 seconds. Did you are not promised tomorrow? You control nothing. So why not go try walk on the water with Jesus? Why not try to do it God's way, right? Why not try to be courageous? Why not take on life with the heart of courage? The next thing that we see, and I'm going quickly, is that they worship Jesus for who he was, not just what he did. And here's the problem. See, a lot of y'all don't like to worship or get really intimate with God because you haven't seen him walk on water and show you who he really is. See, some people play around with church. Some people play around with God. But I'm not here playing around with God because I know him as the water walker. Are you listening to me? I know him as the heart healer. I know him as the past restorer. I know him as the marriage binder. I have seen him as the great I am, the mind healer. I have seen him, are you listening to me, as the heart changer. I have seen him come as the restorer of broken lives and broken dreams. If you only knew the half of what God had did for me, you would worship him like I do. Because God, to me, is my everything. So you see a person walk on water, calm the waves. You see that person over time doing all these signs. You're taking what John said seriously. You're believing in him as your Messiah, as the Son of God. And by believing in him, you have life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. You know, you just think about that. I know I was teasing about it before because I think God does have a sense of humor. Where do we think we got it from? Not the devil. No good thing comes from the devil. So our sense of humor comes from Jesus. But other than looking at it funny, just see what God is doing in those signs. Go back through the book of John and look at what God is doing. Look at how God among us is showing us all of these beautiful things about himself. These are all reasons to worship him. These are reasons to worship him. Why do I worship Jesus? Because he turns water into wine. He takes the ordinary things in my life and makes them beautiful. He's the life of the party. I worship him because he humbles me and he teaches me that he is my healer in this life and the life to come. I worship him because not only does he heal me, but he restores me and he takes on my accusers for me and shows me it's not about religion, but relationship. Why do I worship him? Because he's the bread of life and the water of life. He satisfies my soul to the deepest need. And not only does he have enough for me, he has enough for all my family, all my community, all my city. Why do I worship him? Because he controls all creation. And even the scariest things of creation are still under his power and control and sovereignty. Why do I worship him because he heals my eyes and lets me see the world from what it is and one day he will raise me from the dead and I will live with him eternally that's why I worship Jesus these men fell down on their knees and worship Jesus in that boat I wonder today if there's anybody that wants to worship Jesus for who he is and then lastly as we get Rachel to come please God can shorten your journey he literally takes this boat from the middle of the storm and brings it to the shore these guys experience a miracle 
of transportation. What do I think this miracle teaches us today? Is that God can do things in your life in moments that you couldn't accomplish in years. You couldn't accomplish in years. In the first service, I told this part and cried, and I wish I could cry again, like make a little tear come down my eye. But I am going to tell you from my heart what this means to me. So yesterday, I'm traveling with my family to Urbana for Pastor Grogan's 65th, it's his retirement, but it was his 65th birthday celebration, 29 years of ministry uh, at one church, 29 years, and 50 years of preaching the gospel. All of that was being celebrated, right? And we're coming back, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm turning 40 next month. And she says to me, she goes, I'm so happy I get to watch you turn 40. And I'm like, why is that? That was like a weird thing to say to me, you know, because I, I don't know. She doesn't usually say stuff like that. Like, I'm happy to watch you turn 38. You know, I, I've never heard that. And I'm like, why? Why are you, why are you happy to watch me turn 40? She said, because I, wa I get to watch you grow old with all the blessings that God has given you. I get to watch you become that man who fathers these wonderful children and they become adults and the pastor of a wonderful church that grows. I get to watch you do that. And the moment she began to do that, it went so deep into my heart because what she didn't know is that when I was riding my bike a few days earlier, is I was thinking to myself, 40, wow, I'm only 10 years away from 50, and 50 is old. Now, some of you in the back, you think 30 is old. But trust me, 30 is not old. 40 and 50 is old. No, I'm kidding. But like, I'm thinking, man, I'm only 10 years away. And the moment I have felt that in my heart, and God said to me, but it's not just about you. Your kids will be 10 years older. Your kids will be 18, 17, 14. And it's just like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah, I get older. They get older. Life moves on. It gets better. Things continue to grow and blossom. And then my wife, to say that, just connected into my heart because you know what? When God spoke that to me on the bike, I literally said to myself, how did I get here? How did I get here? I'm telling you, it was a miracle of transportation for me to go from 18 years old, a high school dropout drug dealer, to 40 years old with five kids in a marriage. Y'all don't know about it like I do. It is a miracle. I look back on these 20 years as if it was just like that. And I look back, and I don't know. I'm telling you, you can say, well, Joe, was it this one decision you did this day? One, Because I have watched Christians come into this church. I'm a pastor. Right? It's like my job. You know, I have watched people come in and out, in and out. One time I watched a guy come in for the Bible college. He was almost my same exact age, and he was still a first-year student. And I, and I was like, man, what was the difference between me and this guy? All the time he wasted, all the years... How did it go from 18 to planning a church at 22 to moving to Chicago, getting married at 28, starting a new church, getting a master's degree, like one child, second child, third? Like how? How did that happen? It's because God did it. I literally believe we will get to heaven and look at our life just like a grain of sand and we'll go, my goodness, I thought this thing was so big and so hard and so long. It was everything to me at the time. And life was just like, you know, it was unconceivable. And God will be like, that's what your life was really. It was a vapor of smoke. It was just a grain of sand. And then he'll show us the entire universe of grains of sand. And he'll say, now this is the time you spend with me because you gave me this. 
You gave me this, and now you get this. You know, it's just like a drop of water to, to the oceans of the universe. It's an ocean of universe, right? And this idea is, is that we think in our heart, in our mind, we're going to make things happen. We're going to make things happen. And what Jesus showed us on that boat is that I can do things in a second that you couldn't do in years. And everybody look up at me, please. I want you to hear this from your pastor. Some of you will wonder why 2017 will be just like 2016, and we'll be at 2018. You'll still be in 101. You'll still be barely coming to church every now and then. You'll still not hardly know your Bible. You won't see things in your life change. And you'll wonder why you're still there. You know why? Because you're just doing this. Row, row, row your boat gently down this. You're just going to keep trying to row your boat called life. And you're going to wonder why you ain't getting anywhere. It's because there are some things God said after you did all that you could do to row your boat, after you've done all that you can do, you need to learn to rest. And trust me, after you've done your best, learn to rest. I work hard, as hard as anybody else you'll ever know. But I'll tell you what, I'm not here because I just did my best. I'm here because I learned to rest in the boat with Jesus and say, I mean, you could just think about it. I mean, he comes and sits down. He calms the storm. He walked on water. You could just kind of just like think to yourself what they did with the row, they were the oar. They were just like, oh, man, I'm done trying this thing. Like, you got a better idea now, Jesus, because we've been doing this and it didn't work and you just calmed everything. Because, by the way, all the words of Jesus are not found in the Bible. Do you think Jesus just sat on the boat and then just didn't say nothing for the rest of the ways? Like, like, do you think, I mean, we're getting a summary of a man's life, three and a half years in a book you could read. And I read uh, the whole book of John, the whole book of John on a bike ride, hour and a half. Do you think that's all that man talked? I could just imagine him sitting into that boat, and I'm not trying to make extra scripture here, but I could just imagine him, him coming in that boat. The whole miracle has happened. The disciples have worshiped him, and now they're just looking at him, and they're about ready to start rowing again. And he's just like, I got you. Watch this. And they show up at the shore, and he's like, that's what I do. I mean, the idea that God can take us from here to there in a moment seems impossible for us, but it's possible with God. I just wonder what he's saying to you right now. What is he telling you to trust him with? Let's just close our eyes right now and ask him and say, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, to walk on the water with you and trust you in this journey. What things is God saying to you right now to say, hey, let me take over now. Let me do it. Let me do it my way. So often we have to, like I said, get out there in the middle of the lake with everything going wrong before we're ready to hear that. So today, if you're in a test, you're at the perfect place. But you can't focus on the wind and the waves. you got to focus on Jesus, the one that's walking on the water and controlling the waves. Right now, Jesus, where do you want me to go with you today? What do you want me to do? I double-dog dare some of you to say like Peter, Jesus, bid me to come with you and I'll come. Bid me to walk with you through this trial and I'll walk with you. The Bible says, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. His rod and staff, they comfort me. How many of you will trust Jesus through the valley today, not just the mountaintop? Now I want you to think about the thing right now that scares you the most. I had our altar workers in the first service say them, but for the sake of time, I won't do that right now. But just right now, what is the thing that scares you the most? Some of the ones that our altar workers said was things happening to my kids, 
Others were saying things happening on my job because I got to provide for my family. Others, sickness. What is your biggest fear that you're facing right now? I'm not even just talking about a potential fear. I'm just talking about something right now that just scares you. Something that, you know, some of you might be afraid of dying. Something that just hits you at the core of who you are. Now ask the Lord in this moment right now, say, Jesus, calm the storm of my fear and have me walk on the water with you, Lord. Take me by the hand. Make this journey shorter than I ever thought it would be so that I can conquer this fear right now. I'm not running away from the fear. I'm running to the fear with you. I'm going right at it, head on, right now with you, Jesus. Do it, Lord. Do it, God. Straighten my mind out. Stop having me get all consumed with my own thoughts all the time, God. Get me out of myself and the, uh, the broken record of my loops of fear, the repetition of, of doubt, and get my mind on you. Put it on you today, Jesus. The water walker, the storm calmer, the heart healer, the life transformer, the Savior right now. And those of you who are praying that and meaning it, would you just stand with me and just raise up your hands and say, Lord, I worship you. I worship you, not just for what you do, but for who you are. I worship you for who you are. Just start to worship him in your own words. Just start to tell him you love him right now in your own way. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but I want you to tell him in your own words right now, I love you, Jesus. I'm going to worship you, Jesus. I'm going to do this your way. Because I believe if I do, you will shorten my journey. You will shorten my journey, Jesus. You will take me places quicker, faster, and better than I ever could on my own, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Can you look up here as we say amen and get ready to dismiss? Don't be afraid. Have faith in God. And live courageous in the storm. What do you think Peter was like the next time he got in a boat? He probably said, man, God's got my back. He probably began to have a certain kind of faith that other fishermen didn't have. Did he face other storms in life? He, sure. Did he fall and felt falter in faith? Sure. He still had mistakes, but he kept growing. You, you see a trajectory with Peter is he's growing with the Lord. Until this, and it's probably a true historical story, Peter's about ready to leave Rome, and he sees a vision of Jesus passing him by. And he says, Jesus, where are you going? And he says, I've come to lay down my life with the church. Must I go alone? And Peter says back to Jesus, I'll go with you. They then arrest Peter. And then they're about ready to crucify him because they just had an, they just had like a like a sick, twisted mind towards Christians that they now wanted to crucify them all like Jesus. And Nero went as far to set them on fire. If you ever heard of a Roman candle, a Roman candle where Christians set on fire on crosses lining Roman roads. And they're taking Peter and they're crucifying him and they're about ready to prop him up like they did Jesus. And he said, I'm not even worthy to die like Jesus. Turn the cross upside down. 
Why do you think that man had so much faith to lay down his life, to go right back into persecution, to, to go through those things? Like we talked about Paul singing in the jail. So where do you think that came from? Two Iranian girls handing out almost 100,000 Bibles in Iran. Uh, the government, it's, it's illegal to be a Christian there. They thought that, that there was a, a whole church or thousands of people handing out these Bibles. They come to find out it was only two girls. They arrest them. They torture them. And these girls are singing in jail. They're praising God. They're saying they're as close to God that they've ever been been why do you think that happens why do you think the things that we're the most afraid of the, the things we're most afraid of how about you losing your children in a, in a boating accident one of the men leaving here from chicago in a boat he his wife is in the boat the boat uh, begins to sink she loses her children she's holding on to one she passes out wakes up and the one's not even in her hand anymore she lost all her children horatio and yet, when he's taking that boat ride to know where his, his children died, he writes the song, It Is Well With My Soul, one of my favorite hymns. Why? why? Why do you think it says these things in history and in the Bible? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think about this. We can hardly get people to bow down to Jesus, but everybody bows down to the world. Here, everybody's bowing down to the world. Uh, here, here, everybody's bowing down to the world, won't bow down to Jesus. Uh, these guys won't bow down. I'm so confused in this story. We live in a time where people worship idols all the time, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I can hardly get any of you to bow to Jesus, like the worldly mindset. But these men were so bold that they wouldn't bow down to an idol in the midst of them being threatened with the fire. Think about that. I say, to, I say to people today, let's worship Jesus. And I don't know if I, I want to. They worship all these other things. These men were told, stop worshiping Jesus or we'll throw you in a fire. And they kept worshiping Jesus. Do you see that? Do you see that? That's the point I was trying to make. Do you get my point? I can't beg somebody to worship Jesus, but these people wouldn't stop on the pains of death. What happened in that fire? Jesus showed up. Fourth man looks like one of the son of God. Son of man, in the fire, they come out not even scorched. Daniel and the lions. You guys remember these stories? Yes. How many of us want to be courageous today? Amen. Altar workers, would you come, please? We'll close out in prayer. I know I've been long, but I hope some of you leave out here different than the way you came. Let me just pray a prayer of dismissal right now, and then we'll worship together those who want to pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We pray you bless us as we go. Keep us safe on the roads. And, Lord, we ask that today everybody will live for you and touch your heart, call out to you and not let you pass them by, and that we will love you in the storm and be courageous in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Let's give it up for Jesus today. God bless you. I'll see you at Life Groups. Otherwise, come on up if you need prayer. Worship with us. You are good. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide. The ransom for Come on, let's sing that verse again. Let the king of my heart. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. The fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the 
shadow where I hide the rest Come on, those who are gonna hang out, let's worship. Oh, he is you are good. You are good. Good. time you are good then you'll never let me down good good you'll never let me down no never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna Those of us who are here in the after party, let's just set our heart on Jesus right now and imagine taking on whatever challenges we're going to face right now in life, knowing that Jesus is with us. Think about that in a very real way. So just use your imagination. Where are you going now with Jesus? You know, because I think sometimes we get so lost in the Peter walking on water that we forget the application. Where are you going today with Jesus? What is that going to look like for you? Uh, what it looked like for me a few years back was taking my first mission trip to India, going on the water with Jesus, walking on the water. That was like that for me. Uh, what would be that for you today? For some of you, I know I've heard from women having a family. Maybe you, you know you're afraid of starting a family. Sometimes uh, women will have miscarriages, maybe afraid to start again or try again. Others of you, it may be like falling in love. You've been heartbroken. Maybe you've been divorced. For young people, maybe it's going back to school this Monday and preaching the gospel to those kids that sell drugs or are troublemakers. Like you're going to go look for those troublemakers, go tell them about Jesus. That would be the craziest thing for you to do. For others of you, it's your finances. It's literally taking God's word, giving sacrificially. For others, it's a call. You know, you're going to start doing ministry. Maybe start a business. Uh, do things that really put you on the water. Think about that right now and imagine doing it with Jesus. Just imagine. Use your imagination. It's okay. It's not make-believe. What we're doing is having hope. Hope is the language of